Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. Soprano Laura Dixon Strickling has been developing her career as an interpreter of the art of classical song for some time. And doing it from her home on the island of St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands hasn't exactly been easy. But over the last nine years, Laura has made it look simple. Last week in the first part of this interview, Laura and I spoke about the extraordinary beauty of that near decade of life in paradise and her tenacious work to keep her career spinning. In the middle of COVID, she was nominated for a Grammy Award with her recording entitled Confessions, a compilation of contemporary songs with pianist Joy Schreier. And today we are going to hear her story of the road to the Grammys. Laura has now moved back to the mainland and finished a new recording, 40 at 40. It is an exciting project where Laura met her 40th birthday head-on by commissioning songs from 40 different composers, including Laurie Leitman, Tom Cipullo, and Leslie Adams. This recording with pianist Daniel Schlossberg has been met with fabulous reviews and praise. Her warm presence, the relationship she has developed with all the composers, and her strength in championing an art form that is often overshadowed is priceless. Here is Laura speaking about the first track, Not Quite Stars, with music by Juhi Bansal. And this song is just, it's so different, it's so unique, and it's, and it, it's, urgent and ephemeral like I don't know how she found this mix between just like absolute kind of your feet never touch the ground cloudy airy flying but like with absolute forward momentum and urgency it's it's stunning and the text is so important I think um about you know kind of like the the importance of of what we are doing before we, it's, it's, I would say, in a word, FOMO, <laughs> not, not fear of missing out, but you know, it's kind of like you have yeah. to, you have to be present. You have to think about the things that matter today, yeah. Because we will become stars. Like we will all become stardust in the universe. And so, what are we doing that matters before we get there? And it's just, it's a really special song. So I actually put it on the CD first because, and I think, I think some people might say it's an odd choice because you want to kind of start with a you know a bang and it's not a bang but it is an emotional bang so I think uh I hope I keep I hope people have the same reaction to it that I did (laughs) I love it you leading us into this this is perfect so it's a journey but the serendipity of this bringing the poet and the composer together is so profound right now I mean the hair is standing up on my arms I love it well ultimately it's about community right like the the community of artists we can bring together because of what we do but this is what you do as an adventurer too I mean you're perpetuating creativity and this is (laughs) really admired I mean it's not just about you know okay a 40 at 40 it's it's really about your journey and the journey of those who have gone before you lived through COVID trying to come together still pursue their art and be creative at the end of it this is that's what lasts that's what's important like if I'm just out there like singing things because I like to sing then there's there's nothing there's nothing that matters about that you know Mm -hmm. except to me and I don't want to live a life that is focused on myself I want to I want to see how like if we all work together everything is is better and more and more elevated like the the art that we create is better when we do it as a community 
Right. Oh, totally agreed. And you and I know as singers that every song is like a mini opera. It's, it's a mini theatrical piece. You know, people sometimes look at the singers who are specializing in, in leader and art song and say, oh, well, it's just song. Well, hey, I got words for you. It's bigger <laughs> yeah. than that. And it's bigger than most operas. You yeah, know, well, and it's, and it's hard to get on stage and present 30 characters as opposed to one in an one. evening, right? Like, tell us. <laughs> You got it, babe. I've got to ask you, I want to um, ask you about working with Daniel Schlossberg. So you've had your journey. Now tell me about his during this whole project. So he's, uh, we've been working together for probably about nine years, I think. We met through a, a mutual friend of mine from college, uh, Stephen Lancaster, who's a wonderful baritone. Um, and they are both on faculty at the University of Notre Dame. Stephen is the voice professor, one of the voice professors, and um, Daniel's solo solo piano. Uh, and he, uh, we both went to Peabody, but not at the same time. We both went to Tanglewood, but not at the same time. Um, we just kind of had a lot of, of similar experiences and similar passions. Um, and he's in Chicago. So every time I visited my family, we could get together and kind of do, you know, get kind of do gigs together over the years because we had that locational uh, connection. And, um, you know, we just get along. And I think, uh, mm -hmm. I think we've gotten to the point where I don't, we don't even have to stop uh, the song and explain what we need to do differently. We just stop and, and go again and, and our brains meld and we know exactly what is right the second time we do it. You know, it, it's, I think when you find that kind of blind <laughs> connection with another oh, God, yeah. musician mm. you know it and you value it and you don't let it go and he's, you got just, it. he's a brilliant pianist and and just a really you know excellent friend and I I'm we you know because when you work in recitaling you travel with your pianist a lot and um and we just we get along so well and I think that <laughs> I'm so thankful to have him along for the journey and I had, th I had originally thought that I would do this CD or with the whole project with like as many of the pianists who had been important to me over my career. Again, mm -hmm. I really want to give back in every way possible. Mm -hmm. um, and it just wasn't possible because of yeah. the pandemic. And and, it, and ultimately I think we, I think the project or the, the CD is stronger for that focus that he and I were able to put into it. It wasn't, you know, lots of pianists and lots of moving parts. Like he and I were able to just dig in and do it. And and I'm so thankful that, that that's how it turned out because as much as I love all of my pianists and we're, you know, want to want to work with all of them it was it was really a special journey to go that whole way with him and yeah. and we continue to do it you know that's so exciting I love it what a testament so now let's circle back I mean first of all good luck with this cd recording and you know I hope everyone will explode out onto the <laughs> internet and find it of course at laurastrickling.com and I'm sure you're going to be ha having it on spotify and everywhere but and amazon and anywhere fine music is sold <laughs> <laughs> But determined 
back a little bit to your Grammy experience, because first of all, I'm convinced that you should be in PR because <laughs> it was such a journey for all of us on social media to hear every day there was a new Grammy experience. It was the making of the dress. It was the teasing, you know, and then the information and then the Grammys themselves, which were incredible. And your picture portfolio was wonderful. But I want to know from you what the Grammy experience was really like. It was one of the best days of my life. And I say that as a person who has had many good days and exciting things happen. It was one of the top three days of my life. I did not expect to get that nomination. I didn't lobby for it. There's all this talk about like how people get a Grammy yeah. and, you know, there's mm -hmm. all these back rooms. You know, I didn't do any of that. Didn't have a publicist. Didn't have anybody working for me. I had just dropped my daughter off at school and I was driving back up the mountain to our house. I have my phone on my dashboard holder and it like flashed on the screen like, congratulations on your Grammy nomination. And I literally almost drove my car off the mountain. <laughs> if anyone knows Mopoli Hill, that's not a place you want to lose control. And I was immediately just like, no, what, 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 what? Pulled over at Drake's seat, which anybody who knows St. Yeah. Thomas will know where that is near my house. I pull over like as fast as I can at Drake's seat and I'm like, looking on the internet to see what he's talking about. I, you know, some people who lobby and hope and, you know, think this is going to happen for them. Like they, they watch the nominations. They're waiting for it. Yeah. They're waiting for it. So complete shock. And then there was this sense that like, I feel like every artist feels like they are doing everything in a vacuum and they hope people are listening. They hope people are paying attention, but you get a lot of feedback except for if you're in a live concert and, and people clap. That's about the most feedback you get in mm -hmm. most cases mm -hmm. and to feel like this utter sense of like to put it as Sally feels they like me they really like me <laughs> like you know there's no way to um put it into words how mm. validated and just I think what any artist sometimes wonders if they're making the right decision to continue down the path they're continuing down because it is against all odds a lot of times and against your better <laughs> better judgment. And so to have that happen, it just was like, it felt like, I think I might be doing the right thing. <laughs> it's fantastic. I and, love it. And then of course, you know, and then I got to go to the Grammys and I thought that they'd have the classical musicians over here and the <laughs> real musicians there. And it was not like I was sitting right next to Little Nas X at the pre-ceremony, uh, the early ceremony where they announced the most awards. And then they wow. only do a stack of like eight or something in the in the televised ceremony. But, you know, all of these people who I've only ever seen on TV or in a magazine, I could have like reached out and touched. And that was wild. <laughs> I love it. Who did you engage with? Who did you get the most mojo from? Uh, I gave a, a power bar to Russell Simmons in the security line. I, oh, I was in line for the stuff repeat where you, you know, basically you take pictures for the media right. uh, on the red carpet and Megan the Stallion was behind me. Megan the Stallion was behind me. And so we were talking about our gowns. Hers was Valentino and mine was my mom. <laughs> <laughs> that dress blew everybody away. First of all, how did you choose that fabric? The huge blooms, you lit up the room. It was incredible. Was that a statement back to St. Thomas or was it just your own design? So my mom was a professional gown maker when I was a child. She had stopped doing it uh, when I think I was in high school. She'd taken an office job because it was more lucrative. But she had my entire childhood made like wedding gowns and prom gowns. And I, my earliest memories are like standing there while being her dummy while she hemmed things. And um, she made my wedding gown. She made my sister's wedding gown. So she's, she's oh. a really exceptional seamstress. And wow. so I... 
absolutely could have gone out and bought a gown, but I, I just said, mom, I, I want it. Like this will probably never happen again. I want it to be special. And the only way it'll be truly special for me is if you make it. And, you know, part of the reason we've, we've moved to the, the Chicago area now is that my father has Alzheimer's and my mom is really struggling to, to care for him. And so I knew I was asking her a really big thing because caring for a type one diabetic Alzheimer's patient, who is your husband, a lot. is a lot. And mm. I was also asking her to put make a Grammy gown on top of that. Um, and, you know, but she's my mom and she said yes. And I and I went to Mood Fabric in New York and I spent probably four hours pulling out bolts, you know, and, and I kept coming back to like my favorite color in the entire universe is yellow. Like I want to wear yellow. That's, that's what I have in my mind. And I'd, I'd been looking at chiffon because I wanted to drip you know, down the red carpet. And I found like a, a, a person who worked there and I just was like, I need a yellow gown. Where are the yellow fabrics? Like I need it to be yellow. And he was like, well, I don't think there's a chiffon that's going to work for you, but how about this Carolina Herrera um, it, it, a special kind of silk? It was very hard, which is why I was like, well, that won't, oh, I don't know. I love this fabric, but this, this is too thick and like, it's not going to work. And he was like, no, 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 trust me. It'll be perfect. Especially since you want something dramatic. And he was right. I mean, it, it, yeah. I, I just, I, I loved it the minute I saw it. Um, and my mom actually used my wedding get dress pattern from okay. 19 years ago and built the gown in the same structure that she'd made my wedding dress. And then at, we added, you know, kind of details and I wanted big puffy sleeves so she added those but you know we used the same kind of basic pattern that she used for my wedding dress 19 years ago that was a big statement Laura that was a (laughs) big statement dress that was fantastic how many of your friends were wanting your mother then to design for them so many so (laughs) many I was like no guys she is too busy this almost ended her she was like Laura I can never do this again it was so hard so many times because of how hard it was to like oh you know my poor dad he he just you know he needs so much attention now and he just was like feeling neglected (laughs) in the way that you know someone who has alzheimer's i said you know he's kind of like he's kind of reduced to maybe a small child in his impulses and kind of needs and the way he expresses them and he was like well let's go for a bike ride and she'd have to work on the dress i was like i'm like a terrible daughter They did it. I got, and then she like mailed the dress to Las Vegas where the Grammys were happening, and and then like the dress got briefly lost in the mail, and that was dramatic. And there was another like, drama. Yeah, that the dress was gone, and then it, after about I think when I got to Las Vegas, I think it took me about twenty four hours to find it, but we found it. So <laughs> I think you should do a short film documentary about this experience. I think that would be really <laughs> exciting. Oh my gosh! And I am so moved that you're closer to your father right now. I think that means so much. And I'm sure all our listeners are really agreeing with me right now. I mean, how touching, how wonderful for you. How wonderful. They had come down to spend a lot of time with us in the Virgin Islands, Mm -hmm. both to help me with my daughter. So I would be traveling for work and they would come down and help my husband. So the last few years, they've actually spent probably like a quarter to a half of the year, not half, but probably more than a quarter in St. Thomas with us. And it was just becoming more and more clear that they couldn't anymore. Like they needed to not be making those kind of big trips. It was just too hard on my dad. And so if they can't come down there, then the obvious answer is no, we, we really do have need to go, to go there. home, so to speak. Yeah. We need to go yeah. home. But what a thrill for them, you know, yeah. to have that experience. That's fantastic. And to have you well, now. 
Yeah. And, you know, as hard as it was to live so far away, my parents are not wealthy people. My father was a minister. My mom always had some kind of office job. And, you know, they were not wealthy people. And we never, I, I never even went on a plane until I was 18 years old. And we did not go on vacation. And so the fact that, like, these people who are just the most lovely, kind people, then who never got to go on vacations their entire life, then got to spend, like, a quarter or more of their year in the Virgin Islands every year for the, like, last eight years. It just, I don't know, it just feels like kind of this lovely, I'm glad that we were there so that they could spend that, because they, they went to the beach every day. Like, they really did it. They loved it there. So I'm sad that we're not all going down there, you know, all the time, but I'm glad that they had that time. Oh, absolutely. And you're going to have so many more adventures now on the mainland. So that that brings me to the next obvious question. You know, here you are, this champion for song literature. And you've never really distinguished yourself as a traditional opera singer in your career. And you fill a really interesting niche. I mean, one that I know very well when I first studied at University of Southern California with Gwendolyn Kodolsky, it was in song rep. It meant a lot to me. I just wanted to to be a, a song singer, so to speak. You are doing a great job of maintaining a wonderful career on this. Um, <laughs> do you have any plans for yourself? Are you going to be joining a conservatory as a teacher? Do you think in the coming uh, years? Is this- I don't know. I I I try not to plan too far ahead because with a singing career, so much is outside of your control. Right. And so I know that I can keep making cds and i know that i can um the, the the things that i can control i'm trying to but i um i find that i just keep wanting to explore what is possible uh as a singer and i never i never want to limit myself and say well i'm only going to sing recitals i don't enjoy this or that like i love doing opera i've premiered several at this point and yes and i like putting on a costume and putting on a wig but I will say that I think my network isn't as strong in opera, so I don't work as much in opera. But I do love it. I love I love to be a character and create a character. Um, and I and obviously I love oratorio. I love getting to put on a gown and go on stage <laughs> with an orchestra and you know with the with the conductor. Um, and so I, I I will always love all aspects of my job in different ways. So mm-hmm. I hope. You know, I just I, I, like anybody. I just hope I get to keep doing it and keep being able to like stretch my boundaries. I get to finally do um, Bialobos's um, Bacchianos Brasileira in yes. um, in January, which is a like I've been Beautiful. wanting to sing that piece forever. Um, and I'd say you know things like that. Just if that that's sustaining to me. I get to learn mm-hmm. this new piece and it's in Portuguese and I've never sung in Portuguese. So now I got to figure mm-hmm. that out. But that, that journey is exciting to me and I want to yeah. do it. You know, these are ways to challenge me that keep me kind of excited for the next thing. And I'm just going to keep saying yes. And hoping that um, the, the things that I'm supposed to do keep coming to me because I really love what I do. Obviously you do. And you know, there's an interesting thing that happens to us as singers at around 40 you know, we work and work and work to achieve things. And then we get to 40 and it's kind of this, this, this mountain we can stand on top of and we can look both directions. So you looking in that direction ahead of you right now, I can see that there's going to be a lot more music making and maybe a broader spectrum. And maybe you're going to become the big advocate for song repertoire in the United States. Because let's we'll face it, a good song is a good song, you know? As, well, you know, as... I had a, a PR person um, I consulted with briefly, but didn't end up 
being, I couldn't hire them because I didn't have any money. Um, asked me like, why are you calling this for the 40 at 40 project? Um, you know, that's, you want everyone to know you're 40. And I, <laughs> I, I said, yes, I do. You know, I think too many artists are asked to try to project an image that they have never aged. And exactly. too many artists disappear uh, when they age. And I refuse to pull away from the fact that I am the person I am, the artist I am, the mother I am, the friend I am, the wife I am, because I've had 40 years on this planet. And I have so many friends who um, passed away young and will never get to experience these mm -hmm. years that I get to, and that's a privilege. And I, and I refuse to... I refuse to apologize for getting to live and, and for being who I am. So I, I do, I feel really strongly that I have no, um, I have no qualms about naming it 40 at 40 and about saying, no, okay, 40, 40 years was 2001. It's 2000. Oh, now I'm 42. You know? <laughs> this is who I am. I, I can't apologize for that. <laughs> oh, I love these words, Laura, and you speak for so many performers out there right now, and especially women. You know, um, I, I've got to ask you before before we wrap up here. Do, do you see any obvious changes in the music business right now? I think we're all still trying to figure out what things will look like post-COVID. A lot of um, music presenting bodies closed because of COVID. Um, a lot of donors have stopped donating because of the economic crisis. And so people are trying to do more with less. Um, artists are, you know, they're already coming out of a time of famine financially and then uh, pay, uh, pay is being lower, like lowered uh, to rates that are shocking. And we're all just kind of looking around going like, how long is, you know, is this sustainable? And, and, and I think we all, I think we all feel that uncertainty and that that's a, that's a hard thing to navigate as a community. Um, but the thing I do see happening is people realizing that given those things, we need to find ways to be more creative with, with what we have. And, mm -hmm. and the pandemic made all of us do what we could do in our, in our little corner of the earth. And, yeah. and now we're taking those small things and trying to expand upon them uh, because now we are not as limited as we were then. And, and so I, I think artists will do what they've always done, which is continue to try to inspire and try to um, shine a light on, on kind of what, on what we think, you know, it should be important, we hope anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I think that the world is, is not as happy a place without art. And so, Agreed. And, and we know that. So we're just going to keep doing what we can do. I always say that, you know, uh, uh, an opera that's produced very inexpensively frequently does not look great, but you can do an art song recital that looks very expensive for no money, almost no money. So, you know, for very, very little. little. Um, and so I feel like um, I would love to see um, a dozen art song groups 
pop up around um, communities where they're thinking creatively about programming and the stories they're presenting. They're creating stories based on, you know, song to song instead of trying to overextend by costumes and orchestra and, you know, rehearsal time that's required. You know, think thinking smaller but smarter, yeah. I think is, 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 it needs to be the future. And, and I hope that people will realize that with art song, the there there are there's an endless well of repertoire right there are there's a finite amount of operas certainly operas that can be performed mm-hmm. on a on a smaller level um there's an infinite amount of songs so you can tell the stories you want to tell through uh, through art song and um and you can even do costumes if you want to you can stage them you can be uh, audiences respond to creativity and <laughs> so we all need to do what we do best and think outside the box That's and right. use this art form that is much more modular and much more affordable to produce and use this to our advantage. And I think it will be so exciting. That's, that's a community I want to see um, expand. And, and I hope, you know, everybody out there listening, look, look in, if there might be an art song community in your or an art song group in your community, go to their concert, see what they're doing, because yeah. I guarantee you they're, they're passionate because if they're doing all, putting all of that work and effort into it, they want to do something special. And they do it because they love it. And look yeah. at you being an advocate for this wonderful genre. I love it. You keep on Laura Strickland. You <laughs> keep on. And to all my listeners out there, I, I encourage you to go to laurastrickling.com for more information about this adventurous and fearless artist <laughs> as she walks forward. I think this is so great. Laura, this has been way fun. I love it. And Thanks I'll be for watching- having me. I'll be looking for more of your entries on gowning around, which you love. And you know, you and I love our clothes. So, hey, there you go as well. This is exciting. <laughs> Don't be a stranger to center stage. Come back again. And all the best for this wonderful recording, 40 at 40, with so many interesting composers. What a dialogue. So all the best to you, kiddo. And let me Thanks, know. Thanks, Pamela. Okay. And all the best in Racine, Wisconsin. <laughs> we're all behind you. And we're all <laughs> living through you with our own orchids. I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. The orchid awesome. collection in St. Thomas. I'm sure you miss it. Oh, my gosh. And to all my listeners out there, I hope you'll visit Center Stage with Pamela Kuhn for more shows like this and information about the arts and how we keep spinning it and how we keep supporting it. Because as Laura said, Art can solve chaos, and we need it in our lives. So thank you again, Laura Dixon Strickling. Everyone, I want you to stay safe out there. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. <laughs>